0: And so I just want to say this hate on China out of the United States, making China the enemy, and all it already has casualties, and they're Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. And they're not even necessarily Chinese Americans, because many of people in America can't tell the difference between Asians. And so it's been many, you know, it's been across the board, and it's been violent. Right now in Iraq, it's horrible. Uh, we just have been hearing from friends there. It's gotten worse and worse. Libya, it's hell. Um, Afghanistan for a woman, it's absolute hell. Syria, I mean, the like, could we just stop already? Stop, stop making messes. We not. We need to cooperate. We have a planet we need to live on.
1: Welcome to the Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today with us, we have a very special guest. Jody Evans is the co-founder of Code Pink and serves on the Code Pink Board of Directors. Uh, Since the start of the 2003 Iraq War, Jody has traveled to Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, and Jordan on several occasions. On her most recent visit to Jordan, Jody traveled with a peace coalition to meet with delegates from the Iraqi parliament to institute an action plan for peace and reconciliation. Jody is currently writing a book about divesting from the unjust extractive war economy, and building a just, sustainable peace economy. Code Pink, of course, is a feminist grassroots organization working to end U.S. warfare and imperialism, support peace and human rights initiatives, and redirect resources into healthcare, education, green jobs, and other life affirming programs you can find more on their website codepink.org. welcome to the bridge podcast jody evans thank you
0: jason lovely to be with you so
1: happy to have you here i have to say i am a huge fan of yours i have been following you forever <laughs> you have made a huge impression on me as an anti-war activist for decades and i am appreciative of all the work that you and your organization have been doing for most of my adult lifetime so uh it's amazing to have like a star like you on our show today oh, kind. Uh, so we have a lot of questions we should get started so um Um, To get started, for people who may not know as much about you, we have a lot of uh, Central Asian listeners and Chinese listeners. You are involved in a lot of campaigns in The Pursuit of Peace. Could you tell uh, our listeners about some of the different issues and campaigns that your organization works on? So
0: why don't we just start with What's Code Pink? Um, Because I think that's really confusing to people. I I live in California, and I saw that Bush was driving a war on innocent people. And he was using the color-coded alerts to frighten the American people into war. They were orange, green, and yellow, or orange, yellow, and red. And so we said, we're going to call Code Pink for Peace. And that's how we got our name. So Medea and I you know, ended up in Washington DC, and on our first day, We disrupted at the White House where he was driving the resolution to a war in Iraq. We disrupted Congress and we called code pink for peace in the middle of warmongering. And we haven't been able to stop because the warmongering not only hasn't stopped, but it's escalated. I think when we started, the military budget was somewhere around 300 billion this year. It's a trillion. So it's devastating. And it's about greed. It's about the rich getting richer. So, you know, we've literally been trying to stop this warmongering because we know that it affects innocent people, which is why we were there in the first place, that what war kills, weapons kill, and they not only kill, but war is the greatest contributor to climate change. And we were at comp, you know, talking about this in Glasgow and, and just this last comp. Finally, people are starting in the environmental movement to raise up as we're looking at the environmental catastrophes of this summer, saying, end war, because it is driving this climate change. So all our work is usually to disrupt the warmongering message that is the propaganda of Western media. And every week it looks different. This week it was um, Biden sending cluster bombs to Ukraine, cluster bombs which were declared illegal by the UN and by, you know, I think 100 countries. And the US has refused to sign that treaty. Cluster bombs, which we know are devastating. But I just want to say all weapons are devastating and that it took... Everyone, until cluster bombs, to get to weapons kill people is a little disturbing. A year and a half into this war in Ukraine, when Congress keeps sending weapons, I'm happy that members of Congress are upset that they're cluster bombs. I just want to remind everyone, all weapons kill people in the same way. They're murderous, violent, destructive, horrible, horrible things. So yay that you know Biden has gone too far. Horrible that this could actually happen Um, because as we know, cluster bombs continue to kill for decades and decades as the president of Cambodia just warned Biden this week. Another thing is Biden just appointed a warmonger on steroids, Elliot Abrams, who has been responsible for so much war and devastation and death and lying. And I mean, literally a war criminal that should be in jail To a new post. So we're like protesting that. The other thing we're always talking about is China is not our enemy. Just last, the last couple of weeks, I was in Congress where we have a committee that's literally a committee against China. This has never happened in the history of the United States, where a committee has been created, a bipartisan committee that is to take on China. So it's, you know, back in the 50s in America, we had a McCarthy committee that was really violent and horrible. I would say this is our modern day form of a McCarthy committee. So after I got back from my last trip in China, and I saw... China, what it was doing and what this committee was doing. And they're so far away from each other that I wanted to go to each member, all the 30 members on the committee and do a teach-in on China since they lie about China. So in each one of their offices, I delivered uh, like 4,000 signatures and did a teach-in on China. In one of the members' offices outside of the office was a big giant sign, you know, big as like 24 by 36, that said China was, had a spy base in Cuba. So I took the sign in to the office and I said, this is a lie, you're lying. And they said, no, that's not a lie. I'm like, yes, it's a lie. Even the media came out and said, it's a lie. You know, the media tells lies and then they come out and say they're not a lie but everybody uses a lie as facts. It's part of the like, we'll apologize, you know instead of tell the truth, we'll just apologize for the lie once it's out there. Kind of like this, the spy balloon was a lie and the military had to come out and say that was a lie. We all knew that was a lie. I mean, that's why it was a joke because everybody knew it was a lie, but members of Congress and the military. Of course, they were using it as a tool, but here in this member's, outside of this member's office of Congress, he's lying about a spy base in Cuba. Um, So that was a bit of a tussle and they've called the cops on me and I got, um, uh, I I have a stay away order for the next year to that member's office. I can't go or I end up in jail. I did actually go to jail last week in D.C. for um, being outside of the Department of Justice, because as we know as peace activists, that it's war um, lies that take us to war. And it is only the truth that can bring us peace. And so there is a truth teller, Julian Assange. That has been because of the United States in like in jail, basically, for the last 10 years. And for the last four years, he's been in solitary confinement in Balmash Prison outside of London. And it was his birthday on July 3rd. And so for his birthday present, Ben Cohen and I did a protest at the Department of Justice. Ben lit the an image of the first amendment, which is about the freedom of speech, um, on fire. And then I popped a a pink flare. That's non-toxic. So it was like, we could have the the look of lighting it on fire without actually violating the laws of DC. And so we weren't violating the laws of DC, but we sat down in front of the entrance to the department of justice and we got arrested for the same thing that people who just, you know, literally dismantled, you know, destroyed <laughs> at the walls of Congress and windows of Congress and infiltrated Congress on January 6th. We got the same thing, unlawful entry as they got. So, I mean, a little crazy um but we were arrested and um for trying to raise up that there's all these lies and all this propaganda that's driving us to war and to get to peace you need the truth i think
1: a lot of people at home especially you know me me too because i've i've watched you and your team get arrested on a lot of different occasions <laughs> what is that process like for those of us who uh, have not been through that and do you have lawyers that are you know specifically ready to defend you and get you out of these kind of circumstances?
0: Um, there's a, the National Lawyers Guild, um, is always there for us because we're just, you know, we're nonviolent activists. We just stand in the face of violence and speak the truth and we're arrested. It depends in DC where you're arrested. I mean, I've been arrested in many places, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, you know, DC, New York. Um, but when it's in DC, which is where most of these arrests have been, you could be arrested by the city police because, say, you're blocking an intersection. You could be, like, we were just arrested by Homeland Security. You can be ar- arrested by the Capitol Police. And each one's a little different. Hmm. You're booked and you're held and then you're released. And then sometimes you have a court date. Sometimes you can post bail and forfeit, you know, so then you 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 just give them $50 and you don't have to do anything. It's just on your record. Um, wow. So it's it's various things i would say that um in dc is kind of a pleasant place to be arrested (laughs) i would say (laughs) i've had some really horrible arrests like going after the Koch brothers and in riverside county that was brutal um you know it depends on you know in dc they're used to people getting arrested for political arrests Mm -hmm. so they um they have a process, they, they pretty much have it down and they wanna make sure you're paying the price and keeping you in for a long enough time where you're uncomfortable and then um, they'll let you go. I mean, I was arrested with Jane Fonda, I think four times um, with her fire drill Fridays uh, right before COVID when she was you know doing them every week going to jail and then she got three and she had to spend the night in jail Um, and then we all got arrested on her birthday. Mm -hmm. It was 350 of us. She said it was her favorite birthday party. All of us in jail (laughs) together.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you. And everyone on your team and everyone affiliated with your team for doing what is obviously and clearly very brave and a lot of us are afraid of i've personally been in protests where you know the crackdowns have started and i've just okay it's time for me to leave because i do not have nearly the bravery that you have so thank you thank you for doing that for everyone in the whole world oh yeah you're listening to the bridge We're narrowly focused on China on our show for good reason. It's a growing issue. And if there was a conflict, there would be certainly be a lot at stake and a lot of lives could be uh, irrevocably damaged and people could lose their lives. And it's it's a very, very serious issue for me as an American in China. So I was wondering, could you tell us elaborate a little bit on your campaign? China is not our enemy. And some of the tactics that you've been using to alert the American people and our leaders to the dangers of this conflict, the potential conflict. So
0: um, the first time I saw this, I had been going, my husband lives in China. So I had been going to visit him and I would post on my Facebook page, you know, the pictures and how cool it was and what I was discovering and people would be really positive. Like, Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And then all of a sudden it was just like, well, you know, boo China, you know, like, China bad, you know. Like I'm always like, what just happened? And um, that's when all the hate on China was being driven at the beginning of 2020. And so I just want to say this: hate on China out of the United States, making China the enemy, and all it already has casualties, and they're Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. and they're not even necessarily Chinese Americans because many of people in America can't tell the difference between Asians, and so. It's been many, you know, it's been across the board and it's been violent. It's like when you start the hate, then you trigger this okay to be violent against people that, you know, oh, they're bad, right? So I'm listening to the propaganda. All of a sudden, because I'm noticing what happens on my Facebook page, and I'm like, oh my God, this is the beginning of the Iraq war all over again. Mm -hmm. It's the same story across every media platform. It's by the same people that are paid for by the NED, which is a tool of the State Department. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're by people who you wouldn't be in the same room with. Like the politics of what they're saying, who's spouting it, don't even match. You know it's just like really do you know who you're quoting <laughs> Have you looked into this guy um and it's only a few voices and they're not from the region you know so it's very manufactured and you're not hearing voices from the region that are actually from the region or that are talking rationally you know so I'm just like, whoa, here we go again, more propaganda on steroids that wants you to hate somebody. That's how we went to the Iraq war. And that's where we are again. So that's when I said, wait, China's not our enemy. I mean, at the time, I was just like, we need China to cooperate. There's, there's a planet that's going down in flames. If we don't cooperate with China and learn together, and you know, here are the two largest economies, we need to be working together. There's, And and this was, you know, three and a half years ago. And I'm just, wait, you guys, stop, stop. And Immediately, what I could see is they were trying to weaponize the hearts and minds of progressives using human rights, using Hong Kong, using Taiwan to be the vanguard for war on China. I was like, wait, those are my peeps. You know, I've got to I've got to take them off of being used for war. So originally for the first year, it was just like teaching people, wait, you know, why are you believing this? Don't you see this as hate? Don't you see it's manufacturing war? please do better research end of all of this like please understand the depth and then i saw oh those are just weeds they create to get us caught in the weeds and then you know you know strangle us with weeds and then i was just like i'm not going in the weeds anymore china is not our enemy is all i'm going to say because if you want to make china our enemy you are pushing war and war is the greatest contributor to climate change war is going to war to u.s war on china is Just the thought of it is devastating. And people are already paying the price of this war, including every day we see another sanction on China. Where does the United States get the right to sanction China? On what basis? Nobody questions that. Who's the United States? What this little tiny 4% of the world gets to tell, you know, this 20% of the world what to do? I mean, how are we all agreeing to that? That in itself is irrational. I mean, that they get to put the head of a company from China in jail. Why? Who? Who said that's okay? And then it drives hate and it drives suspicion, and it all these stories. Like, wait, I go to China. I mean, first of all, like people say, oh, everyone in in China is brainwashed and literally is disrespectful. And and you know, when you kind of understand the psyches of China and the psyches of the US, you know, somebody in the West wants to be told they're smart, and somebody in China needs to be respected. Like, do you not even know how to be in conversation? with the people that you're, I mean, you know, take a lesson, please. That's just not even good policy or how to get to diplomacy. So a person like Qi, I have no clue. Like I'm sure, you know, China is super complex, but I do know he's a pretty scholarly human who lived in, you know, pretty hard situation to learn what it's like to be a poor person. I want a leader who understands what that is and who takes power and says he wants to get everyone out of poverty. I live in Venice Beach, California with thousands of people living on the street in tents and really horrible situations and then when i just came back from Ch- when i was in china I kept asking everybody where are the homeless i know there must be homeless right take me to them and person after person would say um, if people fall through the fabric of society you know they could be on the street for a like couple of days but then they're picked up and take taken to where somebody can help them you know like wow what a novel concept <laughs> So I went to Dali, you know, a, a place where there was a toxic lake that had been made toxic and where she went and said, you got to fix this. And now it's potable water and the happiest people I ever met on the planet. You know, like I talked to the by women, they're like, my standard of living has got up six times in 10 years. I'm like, OK, I get it. That make a lot of people in America pretty happy, too. <laughs> the standard of living of a worker in the united states since 1970 hasn't gone up at all you could argue mm-hmm. it's gone down um mm-hmm. so you know it just everybody's talking about china except somebody who's been to china i talked to more like capitalists that love china than you know <laughs> like people who read the propaganda in the news you know there're people who go to actually go to china and have been living there or have family there or you know, they're they're listening to it and going, what China are you talking about? And how racist is that, that you're suggesting everyone in China has been brainwashed? That's racist. Really? Mm. Are you not understanding your own brainwashing that makes you make that statement? Um, so it's been a three and a half years of my own learning, my own unpacking. I mean, I would say in the beginning, all I knew was that it sounded like the war to Iraq. I knew very little about China myself. I didn't know anything really. I just knew, wait, they're trying to go to war on China. I gotta stop that. So that's why I called it China's Not Our Enemy. And in the process, I've had conversations on YouTube with people who knew more than I did. The people who could share with my audience, you know, like. What is China? What's the history of China? What 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 should we know about China that we don't know? Um, what do we don't know about the relation? You know that Taiwan is part of China, and how you know even Biden says there's one uh, there's a one China policy, even though he then's trying to start a war using Taiwan, like he started a war using Ukraine. I don't you know in Taiwan people in Taiwan are like ah, we don't want to be Ukraine. Um, that are kind of smart about like, oh, like we don't want to get in the between a great powers war. Ah. Um, you know, so it's just we all need to be friends mm-hmm. on this planet right now in this time where the climate where we're living through a summer and a winter of hell. People on the southern hemisphere, I mean it's snowing in, you know, South Africa this week and people in in Phoenix, I think it's 120, it was 120 degrees or something in Phoenix. And then you've got Vermont underwater with, you know, rains. And uh, I mean, it's climate catastrophes are happening. One I really want to mention is one of the things the United States has done is circle China with 250 military bases, missile bases, and you know, Jeju Island in in South Korea, one of the most beautiful places on the planet to turn it into a military base and destroy a pristine ecosystem that's appreciated by all these people, that's a violence, that's already violence. But in Guam, here you have a beautiful Chamoran people where their island and this pristine ecosystem and the burial grounds of their people are being destroyed to make a missile base. And they're they're fighting against it, and no one's listening. I mean, even the New York Times did a a cover story on their Sunday paper about the devastation to the Chamoran people in Guam. Well, let me just say, Guam, these people are also on the front lines of climate change. They just had a tsunami that, you know, swept the island and destroyed villages and they couldn't be on the internet and they didn't have potable water and people couldn't get to where they lived and where their families were already devastated by climate change. Yet they're being used to be the front lines of a war. The United States war on China, and I just want to say this is a U.S. war on China, because what the U.S. and the people that are driving this war don't understand in their stupid statements is that, look at China, who has a peace plan for Ukraine, China, who negotiated a peace with the Sunni and the Shiite, you know, like people never thought that was possible. China, the a 3,000-year-old history with a commitment to peace, they burned all their ships when Westerners went out and colonized people of color. China burned their ships and instead decided to be committed to trade and peace and their own people. I mean, Ch- the fact that they're driving a story that China wants to take over the world means they don't understand China. There is nothing in China's DNA that I have studied that shows anything like that. I don't, They don't wanna do that. That's not in their interest. They wanna take care of their people and in the way they took their own people out of poverty, they're taking those patterns to Africa and other places that need to be developed and using that same learning to help other people out of poverty. I mean, a United States capitalist went to China to understand how China took everyone out of poverty. He hired an Emmy award winning filmmaker. He took him to China. They took a lot of footage. They came back and edited in the United States, got PBS, which is funded by the American taxpayer money to produce the video. And then they showed it one time and have now censored it because, oh my God, it makes Beijing look too good. So here we are with the truth. That we're not allowed to see as Americans because, God forbid, it tells the truth about Beijing instead of the propaganda lies. It would disrupt the propaganda and that you can't see it if you're an American because it's been censored. When I always look at when people are covering up the truth, then I know there's a smoking gun behind that. And that's what you see when there's so much distortion around China. I mean, I'm sure China is not perfect. I'm sure China's government is not perfect. I'm pretty sure. You know, no government is perfect and they're pretty gnarly, all of them. You know, that's a given. But the fact that you you're like driving all these lies and hiding any truth and then saying China does that, you know, like you're making it, you know, pretty thin eggshell that I have to crack with the stuff that I'm sharing. Because when you just start listening to the people that we're bringing on, people go, oh, my God, why am I being lied to? And that's the question, why am I being lied to? And I think that's really what the campaign, China's Not Our Enemies, is about. And then we use the opportunities like, you know, going to the China Committee, which is meant to drive war on China, like exposing their attacks on TikTok, um, You know, like talking about Guam as here's the front line. Let's talk about human rights. What is the United States doing to human rights of the people in Guam? Um, If you want to play that game, let's look at this, you know, where we can actually affect human rights is in the United States. What crazy notion does anyone in America think they're going to have an effect on China and its human rights? They can't stop cops from killing black people in the United States or, you know, they didn't stop torturing, you know, Muslims. Or how about the fact that the United States has just murdered a 1,500,000 Muslims? Iraq, Syria, uh, Yemen, Libya. Let's talk about what we've done. Afghanistan, I, I almost feel like the US military keep, well, first of all, they make a lot of money. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money on these wars. So they're driving it for sure. But um, I think they just don't want to talk about it and look what they did to Afghanistan. And then, you know, it's, and of course, like, let's have a war on Ukraine. So we can, weaken Russia. So then we can go at China. I mean, backfire, backfire, backfire. I mean, they're in a, they're already in a, in a, quandary over how they back out of of Ukraine now, um, because they had no idea what they were doing. In the meantime, how many innocent Ukrainians have died? How many poor Ukrainians were put on the front line by Zelensky that didn't even know how to fire a weapon just to be mowed down? If we want to look at what looks horrible, to me, that's horrible. That's horrible. So, um, you know, like let's be be um, careful at how we get used by the stories out of the Pentagon and the stories that are coming out of the White House. Let's just not be used. Let's look deeply into what's really being said and know that if we want to live on this planet, we should be leading on peace. We should be asking the questions of, where is this story taking us? Is it taking us to connectivity? Is it taking us to relationship? or is it separating us oh, yeah.
1: you're listening to the bridge Okay, so um, you mentioned, and this really strikes a chord with me because I noticed it too. In the late 1990s and the early 2000s, I remember the Pentagon, the White House, media whipping up a frenzy about the Middle East, about Muslim people, about Iraq, especially. And I remember feeling the tension in the air in America that something is, you know, we're preparing for something. The leaders in the United States were leading us in a clear direction towards conflict. And you could feel The tension in American society. And sadly, that seems to be like what you just pointed out. I I noticed the same thing. American uh, discourse is changing about China. It has changed dramatically to, oh, this is a wonderful place to visit. This is a wonderful culture. To one where people are unquestioningly thinking about China as as a nefarious character, which is not like what life in China, you know, I'm an American. I love America. I have my there. People walk down the streets and it's elderly people taking care of their grandkids and maybe people working a little too many hours to make sure that their family has enough. And and, and here in China, I go to the park and it's like elderly people flying kites and a father is walking home with his daughter and life in China is very similar to life in the United States. It's families, it's it's human beings living their lives, and yet the media in the United States you know, it's supposed to be one of the best media sets of media in the world. That's what it at least it tells us about itself. And yet the media has taken a huge role in characterizing China in this negative light. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your views about American media and its role in what manufacturing war, to use Chomsky's words.
0: Well, I think Chomsky wrote that a long time. Manufacturing consent has been what's been happening for decades. And Network, which was a movie that was made probably 30 some odd years ago, was really naming that. And there's been much conversation. I mean, the war in Iraq was was really driven by the media. The hate that we live inside of in the United States has been driven by the media. I made a movie, The Brainwashing of My Dad, about Fox News, you know, so... And it's not just Fox News. It's CNN. It's MSNBC. It's the New York Times. It's the Washington Post. They're propaganda arms for the U.S. government. And we know that. We know they get talking points. We know they're told what they can say and what they can't say. And that's, you know, that's just, it's not even conjecture. It's fact. And you can point it out. You can unpack what they've done I kind of like the balloon story, it went across every media. Why? Because they didn't want Blinken to go to China. And so they made up a story. That balloon, we know, had been in the United States for a year. It had flown over Hawaii. People in Hawaii were worried about it. And it, and it was flying over the military base in Hawaii. And the military said, no problem. It's a, it's a weather balloon. Then it gets up to Montana. And the timing, it's like they're looking... Uh, for a way to hate on China that they know is a lie. They know it's a lie. They've already said it's a weather balloon. And China's already told them a year ago that it was a weather balloon. You know, and the fact that they think this is the part that's really scary. The fact that they think that they will insult the thinkers of the United States, that they're going to believe a weather balloon the size of football fields is a spy balloon means we don't know how to critically think. There are are satellites above us that can see the hair on our face. Why the heck would they? I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. If you think about, I mean, why, why was it a joke in the media, in the not media, in the, you know, Saturday Night Lives and the things that spoof on media and the comic strips? Why was it a joke? Because that was really a joke. I mean, that was really, come on, you guys, that's really dumb. But no, they stayed in their seriousness. I went and saw a member of Congress after I got back from China where I was doing my teaching, And I said, and you know, what's as stupid is that whether, you know, the spy balloon, he goes, it was a spy balloon. And I'm like, come on, you can't really still believe that. And he said, yes, it was a spy balloon. The State Department told us we got briefed. And the next week, the article came out from the military. Well, it wasn't really a spy balloon. And I sent it to his staff and I said, make sure the congressperson sees this, you know, that's how dumb they make our members of Congress. Matter of fact, I saw another member of Congress, and I was telling them what I saw in China, and you know, like what they should know. And and he listened, and then um, or she listened, and said afterwards, "Well, you know, I actually know more because I get briefed by the State Department." And I was just like, "Oh, you mean the same State Department that takes us to war and lies us into wars?" <laughs> so it's really sad about Congress that they are briefed by the State Department. They are owned by the weapons manufacturers, totally owned by the weapons manufacturers. Um, One of the Congresswomen just did a a spoof uh, on the DOD because they came in and did a hearing. And weapons manufacturers, what is happening with weapons manufacturers? And how many people are making a killing on killing is really tragic, but we've known this for 30 years. It doesn't change anything. It's you know the trough that pe- people are just making money from, but unfortunately it's destroying the planet. Unfortunately, those weapons are actually destroying the planet. I also produced a film, The Shadow World, which is about weapons trade. And even this horrible weapons trader said, why don't they just you know, give money back and forth to each other? Why do they have to do it and destroy the earth with these weapons? So it's, it's an addiction. The, you know, the cost keeps going up right now with this. You can see in Congress right now while they're discussing the new um, NDAA, which is the funding of, of the military, the conversation is all about, we have, we need more money because we have to, you know, we have to go, we have to protect ourselves from China. China's never threatened the United States. Where, where is, what, Does China have a base around the United States? China has one base and it's in Djibouti because the United States asked them to do a base with them to deal with the pirate issue. So China did what the United, that's their only base outside the United States. Here we have 250 bases circling them, putting sanctions on them every day, a new sanction. This is a United States war on China that is already happening. The people in the United States are Asians are already paying the price of. And, you know, I think why Janet Yellen is a little worried is she knows, like, the United States can't afford a war on China economically, much less, you know, what that would do to the planet or people. And China, you know, as we see, kind of is more level-headed, in their, you know, procedure, you know, moving forward and saying things. And um, I think the U.S. has really provoked it in a way that it would have been happy to be how the relationship has always been. But when you start to be really dumb and provocative, China's gonna not take that line down. They have too much dignity. The leadership has too much dignity. And uh, I think it's also, you know, what the the U.S. provoking the war in Ukraine and um, what it's doing with China. And I think the leaders of the rest of the world have seen what that looks like. They're worried about it. And we see new, um, we see a multi-polar world arising from it. Um, And I don't know that the United States was ready for that to happen. I don't think it really thought through anything, unfortunately, didn't think through getting out of, it didn't think through going to Iraq, bombing Libya, going to Afghanistan, pulling out of Afghanistan. I mean, everywhere it hasn't thought through, the people are devastated. Right now in Iraq, it's horrible. Uh, we just, I've been hearing from friends there, it's gotten worse and worse. Libya, it's hell. Um, Afghanistan for a woman, it's absolute hell. Syria, I mean, the like, could we just stop already? Stop. Stop making messes. We, not, we need to cooperate. We have a planet we need to live on.
1: It's precisely because of the topics that you just mentioned that sometimes it, as an anti-war activist, it's uh, demoralizing. Going back to what you were just saying about all of these places in the Middle East that war has absolutely devastated. In 2002, I remember protesting in dozens of cities millions of people. There was an excitement almost that maybe we were going to make a difference. Unfortunately, Bush at that time and the White House, the Congress, they did not listen. And we were not able to stop the direction that we were headed in. Even with what seemed like millions and millions and millions of people in cities all over the United States and all over the world, the US-led invasion of Iraq happened anyway. So sometimes it can be demoralizing as an anti-war activist. I was wondering, with your extensive experience, if you could motivate us a little bit and tell us a couple of things that your team has accomplished so that we can be reinvigorated a little bit.
0: Well, let's just start with um, when you see, when you really understand that this is a warmongering, you know, it's It's as Eisenhower said, beware the congressional military industrial complex. And it's an empire and it's kind of lost. You know, empires are stupid. As my taxi driver said to me, don't they watch Star Wars? Empires are stupid. So here it's it's lost when 12 million people in the world can be in the street and say no. And you still do it. You have to accept that they're lost. They are really lost. And so, you know. What I know is that I can't end war until I end the war economy. You know, basically, the war economy is the extractive, destructive, oppressive economy, which is capitalism. And war just serves capitalists. You know, it's these wars are for oil. They're for, you know, they're for and the United States is really a country for the rich. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, those people in Washington, they're serving the rich and they're serving capital. In the, the needs of the people are not met in the United States. The needs of capital are met. So I have to know that I'm not going to end war till I end the war economy. So part of half of our work at Code Pink is cultivating peace economies, the peace economy, the giving, sharing, caring, thriving, resilient economy without which none of us would be alive. And that's the care economy, the the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, not when they're in a capitalist form, which they hate, but when they can actually be in service of the people which took them there in the first place. All these things have been distorted and privatized and you know everything's been privatized from our water i mean if they could they'd privatize the air we breathe so you know we're we're at late stage capitalism that's crushing which you know we read about in books you know so we're kind of there and it looks as ugly as they said it was going to look but also i mean i stand on the shoulders of so many activists before me that knew the oppression especially black leaders i mean you know, talk about oppression. They were oppressed at a level that's hard for my brain to even understand and still be teaching and still be raising up. And, you know, and we murdered a lot of them. Right. And one, you know, like Du Bois had to go to Ghana. What I learned from them is the most important thing I could do was witness in front of the violence And that's what I do. I went to DC when I heard about the Iraq war, not because I really thought I could stop it, but because I'd watched for decades. What happens is good people get sucked into the madness of this military industrial violent complex. And so I just wanted to be there standing in front of it and saying, this is wrong. For the person out there that could feel, their heart could feel sane in the middle of insanity. And, you know, thousands of them came and sat with us and like, yes, this is insane. So we do continue to hold hands together. I would say that's the same with China's Not Our Enemy. I have the most amazing people that are part of the team and their hearts are so beautiful. They look and they know China's not our enemy. And we hold hands together across the country and we share stories and we're outside. and, And it gives us our own sanity to be holding hands together and telling our stories together. And it's really, I have to say, like some of the places that really surprise me are young, you know, 20 year old, second generation or third generation, Chinese American boys that are grappling with the insanity of this. Like, why are you going against this beautiful culture that I am? Do you not understand the distortion that is to my own psyche? I mean, I didn't know that they've come to our calls and like they're educating us about how that feels. I mean, Jerry Brown, who, you know, was the governor of California twice and who I ran presidential campaign of, served in his administration. He started, he loves China. He went, you know, really loves China and he cares about the planet and he cares about nuclear war. He's the one that moves the clock, you know, closer to midnight. And so here he is, this person who's really concerned about nuclear war. And he started um, with the Chinese uh, leader who went to the COP in, in Paris, who was the Chinese leadership at COP. The two of them started a school at Berkeley. It's called the China-US Cooperation for the Planet School. And it's at Berkeley University. And they, you know, they were working on how do we get together? How do we work together? You know, uh Senator Kerry working on this also out of the Biden White House, who's like also saying to Biden, we need cooperation, you know, not war. With this new committee in Congress, they closed down the school. Now, there's nothing in the committee that said close down the school, but they're so afraid at this McCarthy-esque committee that they just closed it down because they don't want to be, like, they don't want to experience. There are people that I'm meeting in universities that are Chinese, that are, you know, educators, engineers, like all kinds of, they're, they're going back to China. They've already watched people get arrested, like, that are totally innocent. So it has a silencing effect already. I mean, the Confucian schools got closed down. I mean, things are happening, that are about peace, that are being closed down because people saying people go, I don't want to burn my fingers. You know, like I don't need to do that. So, you know, what's heartening is that people are coming to, to the calls we have around train is not our enemy. that want to work together, that want to share the truth, that want to help people out of what we call the fog of war. Now, when war starts, well, whoa, people's brains just get in the fog of war and they think war is good. And they think you should send weapons. And I'm like, Oh, people, you know how how many times do you have to go through this to understand there's there's no good war, nobody wins in war. Don't tell us about victories. Nobody ever wins in war except the rich. They just get richer, but the planet and the people always lose. And so, you know, just it's I feel great about the people that are part of this team because they know people always lose. And they know the people that are gonna lose, probably most of them. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about being in China my last time. The last day I was walking around and picking anyone could speak English um, that looked, you know, kind of Western. I didn't know where they were from, because Chinese aren't afraid of the war in China. Like I talked to a lot of the Chinese. They're not, they don't seem concerned. But what was fun was that I, there was this Frenchman and I said, Well, are you concerned? Are you reading the news? And he said, I know you're from America. I, you know, like I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm concerned about. America. And I think that's kind of what the Chinese are concerned about. And But why aren't the Americans concerned for the Chinese? That, that moment for me was like, wow, in America, they're just hating on China. In China, the Chinese are concerned about the Americans. You know, that is the the thing I think Americans miss. Chinese live, you know, there's a commitment to peace in the culture. You know, it comes from the culture it comes from being able to not be an individualist, but that you are the planet, you are your community, you are your country, you are your family. You're not just you, you are in the context of all these other things that help you see with compassion, help you see bigger than yourself. And I think for these stories that I hear from people like, oh my God, you know, when I say nice things about China, people tell me, oh my God, you work for the Communist Party of China <laughs> and, and you, you're like an idiot and don't you know? And I'm like, wow, is that, you really wanna say I'm the one brainwashed? When Chinese people are beautiful people and wars hurt the people. Wars are driven by the people in power who never fight in the war and who dies are the people. And we're all people.
1: You're listening to The Bridge. I want to ask you um, Code Pink is aligned with several um, AAPI related organizations. And I think, you know, you mentioned this early on in the interview that the war has already started for them. Because they're, you know, mostly it seems like deranged individuals in the United States are looking at what's going on in the media and they're taking out their own personal anxieties on Asian looking people in the United States. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how regular American people can support the AAPI community in the United States because they're the ones right now who are on the front lines of this conflict.
0: Yeah, it's like, don't be used by the hate because when you're used by the hate, then that's going to affect Asian Americans first. And go, I mean, go learn, go be part of these communities, go be a part of your local Asian community and try to understand how when you live inside of an imperial country, it makes you dumb and that it really affects your thinking. And you think from your mind about everyone else. You project yourself on everyone. You think the world is you instead of understanding the world is complex. And Asians think very differently. All of them think differently amongst themselves and they think differently than we think. And Unpacking that would be the first step to really because what I am also learning in this process is how racist we have been to the Asian communities that are in the United States. And that's painful for me to realize that I learned that late, um, you know, that all of us think in ways that don't that are alienating to being Asian inside of a western culture because they are there is a different culture there are different values and we just protect ourselves and um when i I've, I've heard so many stories about what that's like and you know one of the gals at could pink way she talked about how you know when all this hate started she would just get in a t-shirt that you know was super american to go out you know that just to protect herself then you're contorted or we know what it's like to be an immigrant to the United States, you're not actually allowed to Muslim, Latino, uh, African, you know, it's just, it's not a safe place because people are antagonistic towards you. And um, so with the hate that's being driven towards China, what you can do for that is understand that China is not our enemy. And then when you hear this propaganda, try to understand it's meant to drive war. It's not trained. It's not meant to drive understanding. And what you can do is try to understand. And we have lots of videos at codepink.org China that you could just listen to. I mean, listen to the people from Guam, listen, you know, the people from the Philippines and the Mariana Islands and, you know, listen to some of the, you know, like, what is this really like? I mean, just Take a breath and know that you have been propagandized about China and start from scratch. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful discovery. There's so many interesting things. I mean, I'm like barely cracked the surface. I mean, one of my favorite things that KJ No says, like he talks about the, the things that we have in the United States and came from China. One of my favorite is like, what's more American than ketchup? That you know came from China. Um, so there's just so many things we could learn and also just to think about what is that like when you're saying that it's a you know that they've all been brainwashed, you know, the Chinese people that's my favorite thing people say. Oh my god, the Chinese people have all been brainwashed. And I'm like, oh my god, really? Do you understand how racist that is? Do you understand what you're saying about another human being? Please stop and just think about these words that come out of your mouth can you really say that about a billion, almost 500,000 people? I mean, just think critically about, or when there is a dictator, like think about what it means to be a dictator of a billion, 500,000 people. you know, like, we're only 330 million, like can't even make it work, <laughs> you know, like... Oh yeah.
1: You're listening to The Bridge, we're pretty much out of time. I have one last question It's about Code Pink specifically. Um, are there any events, activities, conferences that you would like to share with our listeners that are coming up?
0: Sure. Well, so we just launched the Summer of Peace. And that is because when I was in Congress, you're not allowed to say peace in Congress, you get buzzsawed is what members member of Congress told me. And I thought, you know, here we are in the weeds ourselves about all these issues, because they're so complex that most people can't follow you in, right? You and I are interested, but most people are just, like, wow, that's way over my head. And there's so much propaganda that people don't want to go near it because they can't understand it. From what I say to what they know is a big, we need bridges, Jason. So thanks for being in a bridge. <laughs> so um, we're just calling for a summer of peace. For everyone to remember what peace is, use peace signs, study what peace is, because we've forgotten and we live in a culture of war in the United States, and I don't think people don't even know it. So it could pink, uh, dot org slash peace economy. You can learn about how you have been acculturated to be part of the war economy and it gives you some very bad habits that aren't good for you and they're not good for your relationships and we have 22 ways that you could pivot yourself out of the war economy into the peace economy but like be peace Mm. we've forgotten what that is make peace cool again i mean we just need to make peace cool again because wow that warmongering is on steroids Mm. so let's just remember If we want to live on this planet, if we want to live in harmony and peace, it's going to take all of us because they're lost. So let's just learn the habits of peace and be in peace with each other so that we can teach those above that uh, they're lost.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us Jody. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for everything that Code Pink does. We're, you know, you have a lot of fans including this show and I uh, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule for us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Peace. Peace. <laughs>